0: my office for many many years when you come when you leave the door when you exit from my office and you go out there's a little plaque on the corner of, the, of my bookcase that no one can fail but to see when they leave the door and it says on that little plaque it has a little stone on it and the words, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. More and more, I'm getting asked by people why I do not reciprocate to the criticism of the way ministry. When these television shows and newspapers and everything else in the media, take a crack at my ministry and the people that I'm loved with all my heart. A couple of weeks ago, or not even that long, maybe ten days ago, I thought again in my life, as I've done so many times in these years. It's almost 40 years now that I've given to research and teaching the integrity and accuracy of God's word with the greatest knowledge I have and the great love I have in my heart for God's people around the world. And I thought of my life as an hourglass. And I know what I'm going to do with this after the rock of ages. Right now, it's on my desk here in the outside of the, right next to the tent where I come in from to teach. But at this hourglass will go next to that one that's in my office that says he is without sin, cast the first stone. But here is an hourglass and when you turn it upside down as hours glasses are, I had this put on the outside which I wrote I haven't time in the swiftly moving moments of my life to reciprocate in a hurtful voice or lines to those who set themselves as God to judge the ministry of our times. And as a friend of mine once wrote in rhyme, to do a hurtful deed, to deny a hungry cry, to scorn a truth sublime, to clasp a cloud of unbelief across a sunny sky, I haven't time. And at the bottom it says, I was thinking of my life And how the sands of time swiftly pass through life's small and frail hourglass. Yet when the sands of time are gathered below, it's the return that will again make my life's timeless hourglass to flow. My life is not timeless, but with the return of Christ, he'll make that hourglass a timeless hourglass to flow. And that's what I wrote regarding why I do not reciprocate to the people who criticize and make fun of our ministry Because ladies and gentlemen, when all life and time is over with, every man will have to stand before the judge of all eternity and that's God Almighty. And therefore I will allow God to be the judge of our life in the time of his return. There's also a poem that was given to me today written by one of the people of our staff here. She and her husband are both on the staff here at International, Jan Schneider. She wrote this poem for her father, who is a farmer. And this is the poem. Here's a man. He's been up with the dawn since the day of his birth. He's akin to the sun and the sky and the earth. And he never once doubted his wealth or his worth to the land. So he stands. He's learned how to live and he's seen how to die. Spent the night with the litter just born in the sty. And he's bet that the spring will come early and dry and he's been wrong. But he's strong. Because he's got him a dog and a son and a wife. And a bin full of grain and a sharp pocket knife. And he never has yet missed a meal in his life. He recalls that he's seen it all, and the eyes of, in his leathery face blur with tears, and his calloused old hands tell the toil of his years, and the house that he built shouts the ballad of fears beaten down. Hear the sound of a man standing honest and straight as a reed who's akin to the sun and the sky and the seed sod, and he's proud of his life and in love with his God, here's a man. That's by Jan Snyder. Isn't that fantastic? Tonight on this August the 13th, Wednesday night, August the 13th, 1980, my topic for tonight is Serving the Nation, because this is the day of the land at the Rock of Ages. What's the purpose of a man's existence As I've given it to you before, once again it's recorded in Matthew chapter 5, and in verse 16, this wonderful record, let your light so do what? Shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is where? In heaven. That's the purpose of man's existence that he may glorify God that he may glorify his Father which is in heaven. And you certainly all by this time know the scripture verse for this rock of ages from Romans 12.1 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you may present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is your what? Reasonable service. Ladies and gentlemen, the only reasonable service for any man is to serve him. Your call to service is to serve the call of the one who called you. And as I have told you every night, there are two things involved in service. Number one, you have to have something to serve. The something that you and I have to serve to our nation and the nations of the world is the rock of all ages, the Lord Jesus Christ. And secondly, you have to have someone to serve. And the someone to serve is the believer. They are the believers of the world that we serve. And our teaching pulpit, ladies and gentlemen, is the world. You know, food Is perhaps the most important item that any individual needs in life when it comes to continuing to live. We are born to live. And if you're going to live, you're going to need what? Food. You and I have never been called upon to feed the world at the expense of our nation. I know this is contrary to the word world food organization the government has, but all I know is the word, and I know that no nation is required to feed the world at the expense of that nation. I understand, according to information that is passed down to me through the so-called Agricultural Department, that, for instance, like New York City, the maximum food they have in New York City right now, tonight, is between three and five days. Ladies and gentlemen... What would New York City do if the food was cut off after five days? There's something else that the Word of God teaches that only us who believe in God's Word know is true. And that is that the land of a nation will only produce productively and dynamically when believers operate it. That's right. The liberals through these last years have laughed at the Puritans who came to our country. They made fun of them. If you don't believe so, you should have read Playboy magazine the last year's. Talk about Puritanism, they laugh at it, in the sense that they want everybody to believe that anything goes. Screw anybody, do any damn thing you want. It's a bunch of damn lies. Our people came to this country, they were God-fearing people. Sure, they weren't perfect, but who in the H is? You're not perfect either, but you love God, right? And the land began to produce, and it produced for them. Never produced for the Indians. I still can't figure out if the Indians want all the benefits of this country, That' why they don't become American citizens. You don't understand that either, do you? That's right. They're not citizens of the United States. Well, why don't they come become citizens? I was born a free citizen of the United States of America, and I'm proud of it. I heard that video this morning, and I got madder and crazy at that section when they talked about us stealing it from the Indians. Oh, nuts. Let the Indians become citizens of the United States. Then they'll grow up and they'll amount to something, same as some of the rest of us have done. My forefathers came to these United States after many years of persecution as Huguenots. On D-Day in World War II, The soldiers and others of the United States of America marched through our town in France. It's called Weirwill. You destroyed it. It's okay with me. Because years before that, after the Edict of Nantes, when the Roman Catholics began to persecute my family so severely, the Weirwill family, we have a town there called Weirwill, my Ancestors left, had to leave. Many of them were killed because of what they believed. When they left, someone to Switzerland, someone to England, someone to Germany. The family of the werewolves in Switzerland, we don't know anything about. Perhaps they must be all gone. In Great Britain, the family of the Harcourts, some of the royal people in the family, in the families of England are Harcourts. In London, there's a street, I understand, called Harcourt. But most of our people that I know of moved to the area of Lottbergen, Germany, outside of Münster, Germany. And then later on, they came to the United States. My, like, my great-grandfather and those came here. They came up. They came across, they came up to Marietta, and from Marietta they came up into this area. And this area, right here where you are at International Headquarters, looks a great deal like in Germany. I have my beautiful sister sitting over here, my sister Liddy, tonight, bless her heart. ago I had someone check to see if she was here, and they said she's here, and they said Liddy, they said that you were waiting for me to teach the word. You were through with all the music. She's through with all the music before it ever starts because my sister Liddy just loves the word. She just wants to hear the word, the word, the word. That's my beautiful sister, bless her. And she is absolutely wonderful and I love her very much. But we werewolves have stood together for many years. And I come to this ministry with a fantastic background, which I didn't know even 40 years ago. But people, the Word of God is still the will of God. And some of us believe the greatness of that Word, right? Amen. Amen. That's what changed our life. And we haven't got any time to criticize or find fault. All we want to do is move the word. We want to help people. And when I am told that we here have to feed the whole world which is contrary to God's word, then I have to take a stand. The word of God says you you first get your relationship between you and God right. It's always an individual matter, people. It's always between you and God first. You can't talk to anybody else about getting saved until, baby, you get saved. Until you get saved, sir. Once you're born again of God's Spirit, then you can talk to somebody else. I believe this has been a fantastic day here at The Way International. Nobody else has ever dared to try a Day of the Lands to present what we have done here all day long. Not to be a part of the problem, but endeavor to be a part of the answer to life. When people tell me that we have to give our food away and Do all that other stuff. Nuts to it. That's why I wrote, it's right. It's been our government that wants to give everything away. They'd give the whole damn country away right now if they could get away with it, if there weren't enough people like you who still stand for our country. Boy, I wish I had that quote from that fella in Chicago that does the news every day. What what, what's his name? Uh, Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey. I wish I had his quote, but in essence, he said, "We the merciful." Oh, golly, we the merciful are at the mercy. Of the mercy less. Boy, I thought, what a statement. See? You know, they give our food away, or they give our lands away, they give our money away, and they tell us we have to do this. I want to tell you, as far as God's Word is concerned, food is the most important thing in the world And if those birds don't want to sell us oil at a decent price, let those birds drink it for breakfast. Try. Try. They can have it for dinner and supper, too. It's real, it's real easy to give something away that you haven't worked for. Same way with the communists. If they want our wheat, they want our oats, and they want our corn. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't have to salaam communism. They ought to come humbly before us and Pay for it. Get it. We don't give it to them. This land in America still produces the best, and it'll continue to produce only if there are God-fearing people operating the land. Without that, people, you're going to lose your land. When you lose your land, you're going to lose your country, people. I do not believe in one world government any more than I believe in one world religion, because both are of the devil. me show you Psalm 107, please. Take your Bibles. Read the Word yourself. You're smart enough. Psalm 107. There are a lot of places in the Word. I'm only going to pick two or three, but I'm going to show them to you. Psalm 107, verse 31. Can you see the word where you're sitting? Oh, that men would praise who? For his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. He didn't say Israel, he said men. Verse 32. Let them exalt him also in the congregation, in the assembly, in the body. The word congregation is the same word in the Old Testament as the word ecclesia, or called out, is in the new church. And praise him in the assembly of the elders. Same word. Look at verse 33. He turneth the rivers into a wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground of fruitful land, into barrenness. Why? For the wickedness of them that what? So whenever a people, whenever a nation turns away from the true God, their rivers, their water springs, their fruitful lands, all of that will become barren people. Read it yourself. Verse 35. He'll turn the wilderness into standing water and dry ground into water springs. He maketh the hungry to dwell that they may prepare a city for habitation, sow the fields and plant vineyards which may yield fruits of increase. Verse 38, He blessed them also so that they are multiplied greatly and alloweth not their cattle to decrease, which means to cast their young before their time. There it is. For those who do not believe in the true God, will not stand for the true God, their lands will never produce, nor their livestock. But for those who turn to the true God and believe the true God, their wilderness will become wonderful waters. All of that. In Hosea, show you another one. Hosea, Joel, Amos. Can't even find the dumb book. I've just all day been involved in this thing beyond anything your mind could apprehend, let alone comprehend. Because people, I just know how important the land is, the soil is, and how disrespectful we've been to God and to the land and to the soil. Boy, it's like I said this morning, it really hurt my heart that I had to take this 147-acre farm and turn it into what it is today, a place for 16,000, 20,000 people to meet for a rock of ages. Because this place grew wonderful corn, beans, oats, wheat. And you can't eat off of these things that are in here. This doesn't grow any crops. And the one thing you'll need is physical food. You'll need spiritual food. I know that. But you also need physical food because if you don't get physical food, what good is it to you to have spiritual life? You'll die. Someday I'm going to buy me a Bible that doesn't have India paper. <laughs> Who's got Hosea? Bring me your Bible. I can't find it <laughs> Sometimes you get so involved in this ministry and a lot of things that go on in the ministry that you wonder about yourself. (laughs) The day has been one of those days. You know, I thought this afternoon before I came over here at 5 o'clock when I came over to start the evening here. I thought, how long can a man live dedicating his life and bleeding his soul out 18, 20 hours a day? I've done that now for 38 years for God's people. How long can a man live? Hosea chapter 4 verse 1 says, hear the word of the Lord. You know what that means? Get your ear balls open. This is God talking, not B.P. will. But for most people, this is just a dry old folky book. Not for those of us who know God and his word. Because if you're going to play tennis, remember we play it by what rule book? Tennis. You got it right, baby. If we're going to play in God's league, you're going to have to come back to God's textbook. It's the only thing that makes any sense. You don't play tennis by a football rule book, nor do you play in God's league by a theologian's writing. You play it by God's word. And the critics who do not believe this is God's word, they better take another look at it, because Hebrews says that the word of God is the critic of the critics. And us, and we in the Way Ministry believe that this is God's Word. Not the King James, we know better than that, stupid. We know that. But that which was originally given when holy men of God spake as they were what? That we know is God's Word. And we have been in research for almost 40 years to put this stuff together so it again fits like a hand in a glove and that it works with a mathematical exactness and with a scientific precision. Hear the word of the Lord, you children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy. (laughs) That means he's got a fight going on with the inhabitants of the land because there is no truth nor mercy nor knowledge of God in the land. We're loaded with religion today. You've got empty filling stations on almost every corner in your town. But no knowledge of the truth of God's Word. People, Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man-made. Christianity... It's God with his family. Christianity is what God wrought in Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are his sons, Christ. (laughs) says in verse 2, you read it yourself. I didn't write the book. Swearing. That word in the text is cursing, using the name of God in vain, telling God to go to hell, all that stuff. Or say, you goddamn son of a bitch. That's what this word's talking about. Lying, killing, stealing, committing adultery. They break out and blood touches blood, which means they're killing each other. Therefore, look at verse 3, shall the land mourn. Land is going to mourn. And everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish. That means you're going to be poverty-stricken. With the beasts of the field, the fowls of the heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea, also shall be taken. What? There it is. And it's remarkable that this section precedes a verse that I use in the foundational class for all of you that have been in the class. Verse 6 says, For my people I destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now that cannot be a lack of knowledge of science or mathematics or sex or love or anything else. It can only be a lack of knowledge of the truth Of God and His Word, people. That's Hosea. You can have your Bible back, Tom. (laughs) We spent the last couple years moving the Word in India. Now we got Indian people to move it because He moved it. Grateful for that. Deuteronomy, chapter 11. Listen to this record. Verse 12 of chapter 11. A land which the Lord thy God careth for. A land that the Lord careth for. The word careth is the same word that's translated provides for at other places. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it. From the beginning of the year unto the end of the year. The Lord watches over it from the start of this planting season to the harvest season. Verse 13 And it shall come to pass if, if, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments which I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your what? Verse 14, that I will give you the rain on your land in due season, the first rain, the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thy oil. And verse 15, I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle that thou mayest eat And have plenty, be full, in the text reads, and have plenty, more than abundant. Take heed to yourself, verse 16, that your heart be not what? Ladies and gentlemen, we've had our heart deceived. We think a man can reap the crop by just plowing it and planting it and everything else. That's a bunch of baloney. You have to have God's blessing on it if you're going to continue to have prosperity in any category of life, meaning as well the land that we cultivate to produce the crops that we eat. Take heed that your heart be not what? You turn aside and you serve other gods. And worship them. Verse 17. Then the Lord's wrath will be kindled against you. And he will shut up the heavens. That there be no rain. And that the land yield not her fruit. Lest ye perish quickly from off the good land. Which the Lord giveth you. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how to say it any plainer than how God's Word says it. And I know this is contrary to all the teaching. It's contrary to all the departments of agriculture. It's contrary to everything except God and His Word. And ladies and gentlemen, we in the Way Ministry have dedicated our life and our believing to God and his word, if it's wrong, we go down with the ship. That's right. But it looks to me tonight, no matter if it's wrong, we couldn't be any wronger than the route we've been taking because we've been going strictly downhill. There's a record in Genesis chapter 39 regarding a man named Joseph. Joseph was the seventh son of a man by the name of Jacob. The word Jacob, the name Jacob means supplanter. One who cheats others, one who beats others before they beat you. You know, you get the other fellow before he gets you. Then your name is Jacob. One night, Jacob had an experience with God. And God, after that experience, changed his name to Israel. And the word Israel means one favored of God. This is the record of that man, Jacob, who got his name changed to Israel. He was, I mean, Joseph. He was the son of Jacob, the supplanter. Joseph was the seventh son. He was the first of Rachel. In Genesis chapter 39... There's the record of Joseph's brother in selling him into captivity. And the record reads in verse 1 that after his brother sold him, Joseph was brought down to where? And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him. Of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither there. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was prosperous, successful. He was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw, S-A-W... That the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and he made him overseer of his house. And all that he had he put into his hand that gave him quite a responsibility For someone who had been sold by his brothers. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house. And over all that he had. That the Lord blessed the Egyptians house for Joseph's sake. You get that one? And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house. And where? In the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save, save the bread which he eat, which he did eat. He never paid any attention. Joseph just took so good care of it. And Joseph was a goodly person, and he was well favored. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife, this is the Pharaoh. The master's wife cast her beautiful brown eyes, those bedroom eyes of hers, you know, upon Joseph. And she said, come on in here, shack up with me. Crawl in the sack with me. King James says, lie with me. I think you kids understand that, don't you? You teach it to the adults if they don't understand it, all right? (laughs) But, verse 8, Joseph what? Refused. He refused and said unto his master's wife, that's the king, Pharaoh's wife, Behold, my master knows not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, Neither hath he kept back anything from me, but thee, because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against him? It came to pass as she spake to Joseph, day by day, every day she said, "Look at me,) <laughs> boop, boop, boop. <laughs> He did not hearken unto her. does not mean he didn't walk out with an erection. He just didn't stay in long enough. That's right. I understand the word. I ain't stupid.
1: He hearkened
0: not what? To lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time, that Joseph went into the house to do his business, take care of the matters in the house. There were none of the men in the house. Ordinarily the queen is surrounded with eunuchs within. And she caught him by his garment. They weren't there, so she caught him by his outer garment, saying, lie with me. And he ran off. He left his garment in her hand and fled, and he got himself out of there. (laughs) getting too hot to be comfortable (laughs) verse 13 and it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment his clothes in her hand was fled forth that she called the men of her house which are the eunuchs and spake unto them see, see he said you brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us He, he came in unto me to lie with me and I cried out Oh, save me from getting raped. Hell, she'd enjoyed it. She wasn't getting raped. (laughs) She'd just given him an invitation. And it came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and he fled and he ran out of here, the old lion woman. And she laid up his garment by her until her master, old Pharaoh himself, came on home. And she spake on him, according to these words, saying, This Hebrew servant which you brought unto us, you know, he came in unto me to mock me. Do you know that? It came to pass as he lifted up my voice, and I cried that he left his garment with me. When I yelled, Help, help, help! He left his garment with me, and he fled out. And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spake on him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me that his wrath was kindled. He became angry. And Joseph's master took him, put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But, verse 21, The Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord showed him what And the Lord gave him favor grace in the sight of the keeper of the prison. This woman lied about Joseph. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph sound all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there he was the doer of it. Verse 23. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to what? Verse chapter 40. And it came to pass after these things a long time afterwards that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth that means he was teed off, foaming at the gills, against two of his officers chief of the butlers, against the chief of what? The bakers. And he put them in ward, in prison, in the house of the captain of the guard, into the prison, the place where Joseph was in jail, where Joseph was bound. Verse 4. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them. And he served them and they continued a season in the ward in prison. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream. In one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream. The butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them and behold, they were what? sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look you so sadly today? What you all screwed up about? (laughs) And they said unto him, We had a dream. There is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to me? Oh, no, 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 no. He said, do they not belong to whom? You read it. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph. And he said to him, in my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches. And it was as though it budded and her blossoms shot forth. And the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup. And I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Verse 12. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three what? Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee. Give back your job to you. Restore thee unto thy place. And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup in the hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. Verse 14. But think of me. Think of me, Joseph says, when it shall be well with thee. When you get out, I'm still in prison and I'm here unjustly. Think of me and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And you make mention of me unto Pharaoh and you bring me out of This prison. For indeed I was stolen away. Out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also. Have I done nothing that should put me into the dungeon. Verse 16. Here's the baker. Head baker. His name is Chief Baker. When he S.A.W. Saw that the interpretation was good. He said to Joseph. I also was in my dream. And behold I had three white baskets on my head and in the uppermost basket there was all manner of baked meats for pharaoh and the birds did eat them out of the baskets upon my head that other fellow didn't have nearly that kind of a dream no no the only thing he had there was a vine in the vine were three branches And it budded, blossoms shot forth. That's verse 10. But this old baker up here, he had a beautiful dream. Boy, he had a big old basket on his head. And all full of all kinds of goody goodies. And the birds did eat out of them. Because God, by way of Joseph, Joseph, had just told the butler that he would be restored to the place of serving Pharaoh. So the old baker said, Hey, baby, ain't that a great one? If he's going to get restored, look at me. I had those terrific baskets on my head. All manner of meat for Pharaoh. Verse 18. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation of the three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee and shall hang thee on the tree and the bird shall eat thy flesh from off thee. I bet that cooled his cookies. What do you bet? <laughs> <laughs> I like you, bless your heart. Verse 20. And it came to pass the third day that was Pharaoh's birthday that he made a feast unto all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. And he gave the cup in pharaoh's hand. But he hanged, verse 22, the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted them. Verse 23, I love this. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but what? after everything Joseph did for him, when he gets back into the society and that realm of serving old Pharaoh, he forgets that this poor old Joseph is still stuck down there in the dungeon, in the jail, and he was the one who helped him. He just forgot about him. It's so human. It's so human. If I had waited through the years for people to pat me on the back and to thank me for the, the greatness of the love of God and the accuracy of the word that I shared with them, I'd have been dead 38 years ago. I don't wait upon people. I wait upon the Lord. And as long as God and I got it together, that's most important to me. I love people and I love to be loved by people. But people... I have not built this word upon people. I have built this ministry of the word upon God and the truth of God's word, people. That stands. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but what? Forgot him. Verse chapter 41. Came to pass at the end of two full years, he forgot him. Then old Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. And there came up out of the river seven well-favored kine. That's cattle. Well-favored means blocked out and pretty. <laughs> Thought of this tonight as, was it Johnny or Walter talked about Mr. Hess bringing us ten steers I, they weren't just little calves. They're beautiful steers. And the man who works with Vernon has brought one as his share. They donated them, made it a part of a gift to the Way Ministry so we could butcher them and eat them in the Way Corps and so forth. That's the family of the Way Ministry, boy. I love Vernon and whoever else, is helper that sent that. It's how the body's supposed to work together. And I love it. Well, these were nice. Fat cattle, like Vernon Hess brought and his other fellow that gave us one too. <laughs> fat flesh, and they fed in a meadow. <laughs> and behold, verse 3, seven other cattle came up after them out of the river, ill-favored, lean-fleshed, rib showing They stood by the other cattle upon the brink of the river. Verse 4. And the ill-favored and lean cattle did eat up the seven well-favored and fat cattle. Now, people, you know cattle don't eat cattle. This is really a screwy dream, ain't it? (laughs) No wonder Pharaoh awoke in verse 4. It's like falling out of the haymow and catching yourself just before you hit the floor. You wake up out of your dream. Old Pharaoh woke up. Then that old fellow, verse 5, he went back to sleep again. And he dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of corn came up upon one stalk. Good Lord, wouldn't he calve like that one? <laughs> now what are some of these other hybrid companies that sell corn? Can you imagine seven ears of corn on one stalk? We're having trouble today to get one good ear on a corn on a stalk, full and. Rank means full, fat, and good. Man, if you ever get two, you feel like a multimillionaire or something. Here they had seven ears of corn on one stalk. Whew! Then a seven thin ears. And those were blasted with what? Sprung up after them. I'm in verse 6. I'm reading you the word. Keep your nose there. Verse 7. And the seven thin ears devoured the seven rank. And what? Now you know corn doesn't eat corn. <laughs> Again, it was such a revelation. Pharaoh rudely awoke quickly. Pharaoh awoke. And when he breathed twice, he said, Oh, baby, that's a dream. Verse 8. It came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. That <laughs> means his soul. He was shook. And he sent and he called for all the hooky-pook boys of Egypt. All the extrasensory perception boys. The ESP, the Duke University, all that parapsychology gang. He called for all the great magicians of what? And all the wise duffers, the wise men thereof. All the Ph.D. gangs. And Pharaoh told them his dream. But there was none that could what? Al Pharaoh what it meant verse 9 then spake the chief butler under Pharaoh saying oh I do remember my faults this day good Lord after two years he said oh my uh, yeah he just dawned on me I do remember something today Remember verse 10, Pharaoh, when you were teed off with his servants and you put me in ward, in jail, in the captain, the guard's house, both me and the chief beggar. And we dreamed a dream, and one night, I and he, we dreamed each man according to interpretation of a dream. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted us our dream. To each man according to his dream, he did what? Interpretation. And it came to pass as the interpreter So it was. Me he restored in my office, and him he hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called who? And they brought him hastily out of jail, out of the dungeon. <laughs> but, it says, he had his gillette, or Wilkerson's sword, or his electric. He did what? Shaved himself. People, I stand in utter amazement at the integrity and accuracy of God's word. If the, if, if the governor of your state or the president of the United States called you, I wonder if you'd take time to shave. You'd most likely not even put your shirt on because your buttons would blow off of it anyways. Here's a man who's been in jail for years. And when the king, the top man, calls him, they brought him hastily, it says, out of the dungeon. But before he would go, he got himself ready to appear before the king. He shaved. And he put on the best clothes he had, his raiment. Then he came in unto what? Verse 15. And Joseph said on, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I dreamed a dream, to dream, and there is none that can interpret it. Now watch it, here it is in verse 15. And I've heard say of thee that thou canst what? Understand a dream to do what? Earlier Joseph had told the butler and the baker that the interpretation was from who? But now it's Pharaoh, the king calling Joseph. And he said, I hear that you can interpret the dream. Now, if Joseph Joseph wants any promotion, here's an opportunity. He could have said, King, you ride on. Baby, you've just said the truth. Man, I can do it. I sure can do it. That's not what he said. Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in what? God, 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 not me, but God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. The key word is God, then the revelation. He's going to give Pharaoh some info. Then Pharaoh said unto Joseph in my dream, Behold, I stood upon the bank of the river. Now he reiterates to Joseph the dream. And in verse 24 it says, The thin ears devoured the seven good years, And I told this unto the magicians. The word magicians is what I told you a while ago. These are the hooky-pook artists, the spiritualists the ESP gang, the outreach of the mind gang, the astrologers, none could declare it unto me. Now verse 24. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Pharaoh had how many dreams? But the revelation." Of God to Joseph was that the two dreams were not two, but what? One. God, this by the way is advanced class material. You need to go through all the foundational intermediate and finally get to the advanced. Here we are operating. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, faith, miracles, all that stuff. God has showed Pharaoh God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to what? About to do means what God is going to initiate or is going to happen pronto, immediately, right away, boom, quick start, now. Verse 26. The seven big, fat, good cattle are seven what? Now, who in the world would have figured that out, that seven cattle were seven years? Revelation word of knowledge. And the seven good ears are what? Seven years. Seven years. Cattle, seven years. Corn seven years. The dream is one. Verse twenty seven. And the seven thin and ill favored cattle that came up after them are what? Seven years. And the seven empty years, blasted or blighted with the east wind, are seven years of what? Verse 28, read it. This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, He shows unto Pharaoh. Verse 29, behold, there come seven years of great plenty, Throughout all the land of what? Seven years of what? Great plenty. Not just seven years of plenty people, but seven years of abundant plenty. More than conquerors. Great what? Great plenty. Well remember, there were seven full ears on one what? Stalk. That is great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. Verse 30. And there shall arise after them seven years of what? Famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine of those last seven years shall consume the land, and the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following, for it shall be very grievous, serious, very grievous. Ladies and gentlemen, had you been the Pharaoh of Egypt, and you would have known for the next 14 years what was happening in your land, what would you have done? If in this week at the National Democratic Convention, which I hear is going on someplace in New York, where they're paying $12.50 for breakfast with eggs and bacon and one piece of toast. What would not the President of the United States... Now, you just sit and think. What would not the governor of a state, what would not a political leader in any state nation or state, pay if he knew exactly what was going to happen in the next 14 years. I want to tell you, they'd give almost anything. Here's a pharaoh, a king. He knows exactly what's going to happen in the next 14 years. He knows there are going to be how many years of great plenty. And then he knows there's going to be a famine the like of which they've never seen for seven years. He knows it for 14 years ahead of time. Our government doesn't even know one minute ahead of time. Usually. What wouldn't they pay if they knew it for 14 years? I wonder what the president would say tonight if I called him up and told him that I knew what was going to happen in our country and to him in the next 14 years. I'm sure he'd call the top psychiatrists in the nation and have me put in jail. Well, that's his privilege. I ain't calling him anyways, because <laughs> I ain't got any revelation. If I had, I'd most likely call him. I would call him, no question about it. But I've learned through the years when I did have it, they didn't listen. But that's all right, too. They're poverty-stricken because of it. Well, it's their privilege. Years ago, I used to play a game with this. When I had advanced classes of three or four people, Then I'd make them all be pharaohs, and I'd make each one be pharaoh. Now, since you're pharaoh, and you're pharaoh, and you're pharaoh, and pharaoh, and you know what's going to happen in the next 14 years, what would you do? During those years, those seven great years of plenty, what would you do with your imports, your exports? How much of that great abundance would you lay aside for the years of famine? How would you store it? What proportion would you allow for the mice to eat? All of that stuff. I used to go through that. It was amazing, the information I gathered. Well, here is a king, the king of a great country. He knows for the next 14 years what's going to happen. Well, I haven't got time tonight to really... Demonstrate all this, do you? But I like to read you verse 20, 32 And for that the dream was doubled, doubled. How many dreams did Pharaoh have? Cattle and corn. Remembering Joseph had said it is one. For that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh how many times? It is because the thing is what? established by God and God shall shortly bring it to pass which means he's going to start the operation pronto. and through my years in the ministry working in the manifestations of the spirit not only from the word but from the experience in life that I've had with God and his word whenever something is doubled it's always established praying about it won't help Crying your eyeballs about it won't help. Standing on your head, wiggling your ears, twiddling your toes. Nothing's going to change. God is going to carry out what the revelation is. If it's doubled, it's always established. Verse 33. Here's the word of wisdom. Word of knowledge tells you the score. 14 years. Here's the word of wisdom. Joseph now therefore let pharaoh look out a man the text reads one person one man let pharaoh the king of egypt take one man discreet wise now that's pretty hard to find a man one man who is discreet and wise and you set him Over all the land of what? Now people, that's absolutely contrary to all the programs of government. You don't take one man, you get a committee. Then you get a committee, you get a a department, then you get, oh, I don't know, oodles and oodles of others involved. Try. Totally contrary to the way governments operate. This is the word of the Lord. Pharaoh find one man who is discreet and wise and set him over all the land of what? Egypt. Verse 34. Let Pharaoh do this and let him, this one man, appoint overseers, officers over the land and take up, look, take up the fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, and ladies and gentlemen, that's only 20%. In those seven years of plenty ta- reserve, only 20%. They never cut their imports or exports. As a matter of fact, they increased them. Everything. They only took up the double tie 20%. Verse 35 And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up corn under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Verse 36, And that food shall be for store to the land against the seven years of what? Which of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land of Egypt perish not through what? The famine verse 37 and the king was good and the, the the thing was good in the eyes of pharaoh now you got to remember pharaoh was not what you would call a believer joseph was but pharaoh was still the king and this thing which joseph said sounded good in the eyes of pharaoh And in the eyes of Pharaoh's top men, his cabinet. Verse 38. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this? Joseph had told Pharaoh to look out a man, one man discreet and wise. Right? Now you read verse 38. Here is Pharaoh saying, Can we find such a one as this? A man in whom the Spirit of God is. Lordy Pete. Pharaoh was outside of the pale. He didn't belong to the so-called church. And yet Pharaoh had enough sense when he got together with his people with his top echelon, his cabinet. Pharaoh said, Is there a man? Can we find any other man but this in whom the Spirit of God is? How do you think Joseph got this information? Because he stayed up and studied the theologians at night. He got it by what? Revelation. And in order to get revelation, you have to be born again of God's Spirit, have Christ in you today, the hope of glory. Old Testament, the Spirit was upon the. Like Moses. Then Moses laid his hand upon Joshua, and the Spirit was upon them. Then they called in 70 others, laid hands on them, and the Spirit came on. God is Spirit, He can only talk to what He is. Spirit. That's how Joseph knew. Spirit of God was on him. Verse 39 And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God, look at that people, a pagan king, an unbelieving king, Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Because he had the Spirit of God on him, God could walk with him, God could talk with him, God could tell him, What to do in a situation? Verse 40. Thou shalt be over my house. That means in charge. And according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Put him second in command. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand. And that's the signet ring. Orientalism, Biblical Orientalism, signet ring. Whenever a man carried the signet ring of the king, he could buy and sell anything because all he had to do is stamp it. It was the official seal.